Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the EquiConnect equine podcast brought to you by McKee Pownell Equine Services. My name is Dr. Kyle Goldie. And I'm Karen Fell, and today we have the special guest, Dr. Mike Pownell. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Pownell. As I'm sure uh, many of you uh, have realized, uh, Dr. Pownell is one of the, uh, the founders of McKee Pownell Equine Services uh, here in Ontario, Canada. Mike, why don't you tell us about yourself? So thanks. And, and again, thank you for this opportunity. And actually, we're, we're doing this very socially distanced, so it's really nice to actually see uh, Karen and Kyle again. It's been a while. Yeah, so my wife, Melissa McKee, and I formed the company in 2002. Uh, she had graduated in 2000, did an internship. I graduated a year later. I did an internship, but always we had an entrepreneurial spirit. You know, before I was a vet, I was a full-time horseshoer for seven years, so I was used to having my own business, and uh, I come from a family, uh, on one side of the family, are very entrepreneurial. I think what it comes down to is I'm a really bad employee, <laughs> and so I just sort of had to have my own business because nobody would want me to work for them. So that, that's my story. Fair enough. Uh, what made you uh, decide to go to vet school? You know, so when I was a farrier, I had a really great opportunity to work with um, who became a mentor. And he was a farrier, became a vet. When I was working with him as an apprentice, we would do a lot of lameness work. And I just was fascinated by it. And just finally, after a while, I just sort of... A couple of things. I'm about 6'4", and my height and being a horseshoer does not mean a long, healthy, happy, pain-free career. So I knew at some point I had to make a change. And uh, I was literally, I was shoeing horses for a client. I was living in Quebec then, and, you know, like a lot with farriers and their clients, we become good friends. And um, I was bent over, sweating, and it was kind of a day like, you know, in July. And she's like, Mike, you should go to vet school. And at that point, I, my background was in the arts before. I started a degree in communication studies and theater. So that was all my background. Huh. I had no idea about no. that. I'm actually surprised. <laughs> when I went back to my high school reunion, my 30th, yeah, 30th high school reunion, and they saw that I was a veterinarian, I think I was the biggest surprise of anybody because my whole background was in theater and the arts. That's amazing. And to see that I was a vet, people were blown away by it. So. <laughs> It's really funny. I did a lot of acting when I was a kid, too. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I never realized we had that in common. And uh, Dr. Sam Molson has a background in theater, too. Is that right? Yeah, huh. so, oh, wow. Yeah, so a bunch of theater kids working at McKee Pownall. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, she, she just said, you know, hey, you should be a vet. And it was literally the light went off. And I was like, yeah. And up until then, I never thought that I would ever want to go back to school. But uh, yeah, it was amazing. I loved it. So then, uh, yeah, I came back as a mature student, met Melissa in vet school. She was a year ahead of me. And uh, we started the business on March 2nd, 2002. Very cool. I think it's really fascinating for your experience in your life and how you've kind of changed and molded, which I think is kind of a really good inspiration. You can tell within the company, uh, the way that it's set up. So it's, it's very cool that that's been in your personal life and how it applies within the company as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the only constant is change. And, you know, we're, we try to be as open to it as possible. And on the topic of education, you went to school again. Yeah, 
I just, you know, we're always learning. And I think education is, is a wonderful thing. And in 2013, we went through a bit of a rough spot. Uh, we have, a, you know, a large part of our practice is, is dependent on racehorses. And, and Melissa and, and, and you, Kyle, do a lot of racehorses. But at the time, uh, it was just Melissa. And that was just after the slots program was changed. It was a really big impact on the racing industry. And it really impacted our business. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm not getting any younger need to make some better decisions, need to be smarter about the business so we have a viable business that carries on for, you know, a long time. I'm really proud of what we've been able to build at McKee Panel. I know we'll talk a bit about that. And I just want to make sure that this stays viable. I said, I got to get smarter. And so I uh, applied for an executive MBA program at Western University, Richard Ivy School of Business. And, uh, Again, that was a huge eye-opener. So I was at that point, it was kind of like my midlife crisis. I didn't buy a Corvette. I just got an education. And I went to Ivy and joined the MBA program. And, and again, um, just blown away by, A, the level of teaching, but just opening up this world of just what we can do with the business as a force of, you know, of good and to be part of the community. And it just it opened my eyes of what could be. And, and that's been exciting. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I'm sure it really uh, nourished your entrepreneurial spirit that you you had all along, and just gave it a little bit more foundation, maybe a more more framing, more framing. And it really, what what business school does, and I've really figured out by the end, is it teaches you how to manage risk. Everything we do has certain a level of risk. Sure. So how do you make the right choices that you're not going to get rid of risk, but you're going to manage it. And I think that was the biggest thing. The other thing is, is, you know, being in a class of 50 other people, all different industries, you just learn so much by hanging out with other people. You know, diversity, we all talk about in Canada, diversity is our strength. And I totally saw it in that program. You know, half the people in the class had immigrated to Canada from various parts of the world. It was just really a, a huge hodgepodge of, of experiences and backgrounds. And it just made me a much more aware person of our community and how to give back to our community and, and just what a great country we live in Canada. For sure. Yeah, so many pluses out of it. That's great. Well, why don't you take us back to the beginning? And, uh, you know, of course, talking about business, you had to come up with a business plan and all that type of thing. But another big part of that is coming up with a vision. So why don't you uh, tell us about what your what your vision of McKee Panel Equine Services was to, to be in the future? Sure. So when Melissa and I were in vet school, so as part of you know vet school, you do externships, you spend time visiting other vet practices. Or, you know, we did internships, which is after you're done vet school, you do a year in the field that where you want to practice, just get a more in-depth education. So a few things that Melissa and I picked up when we were finishing off vet school. Number one is at that point, the, the real shift had changed the demographically in vet school. And so in Melissa's class, I think 85% of the students were female. I was about 20, 23. It was a real shift. But regardless of the the gender, you could see at that point that nobody wanted to work 24-7 like the old road warrior vets were. So, you know, when everybody starts talking about, we hear a lot of discussion in our own profession, oh, back in the day, but, you know, people change. And, you know, people just did not want to work so much. And so, Melissa and I sort of thought, okay, so you have a population that's predominantly female yet doesn't want to work 80, 90 hours a week. So how do we make a business to accommodate that? Because in Canada, you know, if we have all of our vets are female, they're going to get pregnant and they're going to take a year off. And so how do we, how do we manage that? How do we make this an inviting place for somebody to work for? 
we hear it a lot. It's like, why are you guys so big? Why did you get so, why did you get so big? And it's like, that was a conscious decision because really what we wanted to do was to get big enough that we had multiple vets in the practice so we can share on call. So we're not always on call together. You know, like it's still the sad state in vet school when people say, if you like horses and you want to go into, you know, as a veterinarian, everybody still says, well, go into companion animal practice because you're going to work less hours and you're going to have time to ride your horse and show your horse. And Melissa and I were like, no, we got to change that. We should have horse people that love horses, but also can enjoy their own horses. And so that's really why we focused on, let's get big enough that we can start sharing on call. And I knew at one point, I don't know, this was about 10 years ago, that we were in the right place because Melissa and I were on call. And we, at that point, we had three other vets and all three of them were either showing or riding that, their horses that weekend. And we both looked at each other and were like, yes, that's success. Yeah, absolutely. I remember there's the old saying in, in vet school, if uh, if you like horses, become a small animal vet exactly. because otherwise you don't have time for your horses. So so the, yeah, you're, you're definitely on the right track. Something else you touched on earlier there that I think is a really, really important point is uh, the role that the demographic shift in uh, veterinary medicine ha- has played in improving the lives of veterinarians in general. I remember, oh, this might seem like a kind of a crazy aside, but I remember listening to a podcast a long time ago about uh, engineers without borders type situation, and they were going to the third world, um, and they were going to teach people how to uh, set up solar generation in these small villages so that mm-hmm. they could have, at the very least, lights for every house. You've probably heard this episode because we share, we share taste and, and uh, podcast. But anyway, and they'd done their research, and they made a point you know what we're going to do? We're going to teach the grandmothers of the community how to do this work. Because the grandmothers, they're the matriarchs of the society, and uh, they want everybody to do better. They didn't want anybody to sort of hoard that information and, and try to, you know, try to better themselves. They wanted to disseminate that and make everybody's lives better. And I think we've really seen that happen in veterinary medicine as women became like uh, came to the to the forefront in the in the profession i remember we had a great uh, discussion in vet school about how as women became more predominant in a field the quality of life improved for for everyone yep it's a scientific fact as a profession involves more women everybody's lives are better <laughs> And uh, I'm sure that you came across that a lot in, uh, in in business school and stuff too. You know where I first encountered that? When I was in vet school, I was on council. Okay, yeah. And being on council was predominantly female. And I was like, oh, this is what collaboration looks like. This is like, let's raise everybody up and not just, let's not make this a competition. And and that's when I was like, oh, this I like this a lot. And that opened up my eyes a, a lot to how it, how good it can be. A rising tide floats all boats. Exactly. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So the other two areas I wanted just to bring up in terms of our our origin story. Absolutely. Being big enough to have enough vets so we can have a quality of life. The other factor was when we worked at all these practices, you'd look at the support staff. And some of them would be registered technicians. uh, Some of them would be receptionists. Some of them would be vet assistants. And really what we realized, some of these people were so talented and had such curiosity and, and knew so much. And it just, you know, they loved their patients and they loved who they worked with. They're really inspiring people. And what we, you know, one of the things we picked up though is that unless they had a partner who had a quote unquote real job, most of them were probably looking at 
barely poverty levels, just the, the rates. And so what I wanted to do, we, what we wanted to do is have a business where we can, two things, one, pay people a good wage, and two, create opportunities. So again, this is another reason why we wanted to get bigger is that as we grew, we allowed people to say, hey, I have an interest in this, or I wanted to develop in that. And Karen, you're a great example of, of that, of how you've changed in the company. You know, if you look at the people in our organization, you know, they've come up, started as receptionists, or so many people have just moved up. And we always encourage people to develop, find an interest in how we can make room for that is to keep on growing, to give people opportunities. And then I think the last and the most important thing is at that time too, when we were doing our externships and internships, we were visiting veterinarians and the old school version of vet medicine or the equine vet medicine was really keeping the horse owner like mushrooms, like in the dark. And, you know, there was a lack of communication. There wasn't a lot of respect. I think a lot of the older vets considered horses more like cattle as a bit of a commodity, and they didn't realize the relationships people had with their horses. So one of the things we said is, you know what, we want to make sure that we have such amazing customer service, and we really work with horse owners with education so they can be part of the decision process. And I think that's why we have such a focus on education, to really make the horse owner or trainer part of the healthcare team as opposed to, no, 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 I'll tell you what you need to know and Mm -hmm. don't bother me. And I think that's still our driving force. You can definitely see that within the company. There's been a lot of changes and I've always found personally, it's kind of, okay, where's your interest lies? What can we do? Everyone's very approachable and encouraging about different ideas and trying to collaborate, as you mentioned, to, you know, really educate within the company as well as with our clients. That's a really good point, just about collaboration. We see it a lot with you guys as technical staff. You are probably one of our most senior technical people, and uh, you collaborate with all of the other technical staff to improve the education of all the technical staff, which is which is fantastic. And I think uh, we see the same sort of collaboration on the veterinarian side, where all of us have sort of different skill sets and, and strengths. And so having a large company allows us to borrow from other people's strengths, right? And also within different disciplines, when we've got some people focus on racing, some people focus on geriatrics, some people focus on dentistry, mm-hmm. surgery, you know what I mean? So, so having such an organization that we can draw on the expertise of our colleagues is is yeah. so great. That's one of the more gratifying things I have. I mean, we have an, an internal communication channel and just seeing how the veterinarians and just everybody, you know, collaborates, communicates, hey, I have this case, what's going on here? You know, I haven't seen this before. And somebody in the practice has seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have great feedback. And, and the back and forth is, you know, it even happens on weekends. It's not like anybody has to and somebody has the weekend off and somebody will be on call and just will do an update. And all of a sudden, vets from even other practices are chiming in going, oh, have you thought about this? Or I saw this. And that, to me, that's one of the things that just makes me smile and just sort of proves that our, our vision is working because I just love that collaboration. When it's not forced, it's like we want to do this. We're all curious. We want everybody to succeed. Time for the heavy hitting questions. Uh oh. Yeah. Uh oh. It's going to happen. <laughs> so, through the grapevine, we hear criticism that the company has a very corporate presentation. How do you respond to that? You know, for a while we fought it because, you know, we're still a small business, but we're still larger than other practices. And it bothered me because of, you know, there was a reason, as I just explained, why we're, we've gotten bigger. Now, um, over the last year or so, I'm just like, you know what? That's who we are. 
and I'm not going to fight it and we should not fight it. And the advantages that come with a, a larger group practice, and that's what it is. It's not a corporate, it's a larger group practice, allows this collaboration. It allows us to have vets that are fresh. It allows us to have our vets handle the emergencies. Like our vets are always on call and they take care of their clients. How, and I hate to say it, but often we become the, the vet practice when other vets want to take a weekend off or, or something else, they call us. But we're, you know what, we're there for our clients all the time. And I think that's one of the, the, the powers that we have, the, the collective wisdom, as we were just talking about, um, the flexibility to bring in new services, to be able to afford new equipment. Like you know, the fact that we have the, you know, the only standing MRI in Ontario. I mean, those are the investments that we're able to make. Not that we get a lot of return on some of these things, but it, that determination to give great medical and client care is really what drives us. And I think by having the flexibility of a group of numbers, we're allowed to do that. Now, are we for everybody? Absolutely not. You know, and some people love the relationship with just the one vet. I get that. But I think having the flexibility and having the responsiveness that they get from us, having a live person answer the phone, being able to develop the relationships, whether it's our customer service representative or our vet assistants, everybody has such strong relationships for clients that sort of belies that, you know, quote unquote, corporate appearance. Absolutely. I've always enjoyed too that, and we still get it if there's newer clients who maybe don't know us as much, they call in and they say, well, you know, this particular veterinarian, that's who I want because I, I always use them within the practice. Maybe they're off that day or something's happened. Everyone has access to the same files. You guys talk all the time. As you said, even though for Kyle and myself, we're located in Uxbridge, we talk to the other locations very, very regularly. So it's really interesting to see everybody work together and how it kind of changes over time. Then it becomes the call in, oh, often I use this veterinarian, but really whoever whoever's available is great. Sure. It's, it's been neat to see that transition. That's spot on. I'm reminded of a time, again, a few years ago, we were at Paul Grave at the Horse Show in Caledon Equestrian Park, and we also have a vet on duty every day. And so one of the things we try to do is you brought up, you know, about having a consistent vet. And so, yes, if there's a condition going on or if you want somebody to know your horse, that consistency is great. You know, if you have a lameness issue, you don't want to have to restart every time. But this example, I think on a Tuesday, this horse came up lame and it was ultrasounded. And then every single day that week, there was another vet there following up. And then one of the days I was there towards on the weekend and the owner said to me, you know, she's like, Mike, it's amazing. Every vet that you had knew the case, had talked to the vet before, even though there were different vets every time, we, there was a consistent level of care. And it was amazing that just because the one vet wasn't here, the care went on and it was great care. And to me, that sort of validates ex- in exactly what you're just saying, Karen. Mike, it's been more at the forefront of discussions, I would say, in recent years, the sort of scourge of uh, mental health issues within the the veterinary community and even arguably more so within the equine veterinary community. So to what extent uh, do you find that uh, your planning and and your vision has uh, sort of helped to advocate for uh, veterinarians' mental health? Yeah, now we're opening up a big box, and but it's an important one to discuss. And so I would love to say that we conscientiously knew this was going to happen when we started the practice, but no, but I think the business model is accommodating what's going on. So what a lot of people don't know is veterinary profession globally, uh, statistically year after year, and this has been for the last five or six years, 
has the highest suicide rate of any profession, two times the nearest one. And it's really sad. A lot of factors going into that. So we have that. There's fewer people going into equine practice because of the expectations compared to a companion animal vet or even a a food animal vet. Equine vets work more hours. Um, There was a great survey done about four years ago in the UK, and they sort of looked at injuries and mortality rates of different professions, and their findings showed that equine vets is the most dangerous non-military profession in the world. And the statistics were kind of horrifying, but all of us were in it. Yeah, I mean, I can think of within our practice, three people have had had broken legs. I mean, you know, there's arthritis. I mean, everybody gets beat up. It's a tough business. And anybody that rides horses knows that too. If you're a farrier, I mean, it's just a tough business. You don't go into this business because you're going to, for the glory, you go into because you love horses. So one of the things we started really working on, because, you know, it is, it's tough on, on uh, vets, and the vets that we have are really A-type personalities. They try so hard. They care so much. Uh, sometimes you almost got to, you know, pull them back. Like, you just, you got to get some time for yourself. You're going to be a better vet if you have time to regroup, refresh yourself, have a life. If everything you're doing is, is your job, I think it starts to distort your ability to do a good job. So there's two parts of this. So in about 2012, you know, we really focus on having this collaborative, fun uh, work environment. I noticed at that time we were losing it. And at that point, we were doing what most vet practices do is that we pay our vets on commission on production. That's just the standard. And we started our practice, we did the same thing. And I just, you know, I was like, this isn't working. Like the vets are working really hard, they're competitive. Um, they want to make sure that they get the next case. They, you know, they're starting to hoard cases. And, and I was like, that's not who we are. That's not giving great medical care. And it's just, so I just to the vets, I said, you know what? I want us to go all on salary. Like, let's get rid of this commission. Let's just focus on what's doing best for the patient and the client. And I think when you have a commission, it, it alters your motivations. And I, just, I wrote a blog and I posted it on LinkedIn on the same subject last week. And I've had so much feedback on this. And more and more people are realizing that paying on commission really impairs the culture. So everybody went on on salary and it's been great since. Second thing happened about 2016. We did our first employee engagement survey, trying to measure how happy people are working at, at work. And the vet scores came in actually lower than what we expected. Still pretty good, but lower. And really what it came down to was just, they're just tired and getting burnt out. And that scared me because the American Association of Equine Practitioners is our main you know, professional group, pretty well globally. And what they have found out is that 50% of new grads that go into the equine vet profession leave within five years. So I was like, that's not good. I mean, we, we need to have people coming into this profession. So I was like, we got to do something about it. And so what we did at that point is we converted to a four-day work week for the vets. And we said, you know what? I have a feeling that if you have an extra day, you can just catch up on your communications, finish your medical records, do whatever you need to do. And then when you're there for the four days, you're giving your all. And all the vets were like, oh, okay. And again, that's been wonderful. And it's just that I think our vets are happier and the employee engagement scores have gone up. A sort of anecdotal uh, comment on it is the June of that year. I remember just every June, everybody just is tired and cranky and just, you know, just 
miserable. It's just, everybody's just, we're, we've had enough. It's been a busy spring, horse show season in the full bore. And, you know, you'd come by in the morning and you walk by the vet office and nobody was really talking and just, it's just, you could, people are tired. The next year, after we went to the four-day work week, I remember walking into the Campbellville office and it was in the morning and all of a sudden I walked by the vet office and I could just hear laughter, like just unabashed laughter at eight in the morning. And I just sort of stood outside the door and went, I'm just going to savor this for a while. Because that to me was just like from a year ago of just ugh, miserable to, all right, so the day hasn't even started and I'm laughing and I'm having fun. I was like, that's what we need to be doing. Because I do think it gives us, it allows us to do better care. And that's really what it comes down to. Absolutely. I've um, lucked out to have been with the company throughout both of those uh, changes, and it really has made a big difference. I remember when it got switched from commission to salary, and I started seeing my coworkers again, because the vets would work such long hours to try to get you know all the appointments in and, and work as much and as hard as they can, providing the best service. It was busy days. There would go weeks that I would not see other employees that I worked with. We worked in the same office. Um, the, we come in for the same supplies. So that was a big change. And I remember the four-day work week, which some of you might be thinking, oh, you know, vets were like, awesome, this is great. It was a, it took a bit for the vets to be able to, to do this because it's a hard thing. As Mike was saying, all the vets really are A-type personalities. They really want to work and it's hard for them to kind of step back. They're still doing all their communication on this, on this day off. But it was a transition period because that's just their norm. And now you're absolutely right. It's incredible to see the vets and how much happier they are being able to have that day to get everything done. I noticed one vet emailed me about four months into this after we went to the four-day week. And she's like, I enjoy being a vet more than I ever expected. I'm like, why? She's like, I did my fifth day. I, I just, the busy work that just nags you all week. I know I have the day I can do it, but she's like, I'm, I have the time to read vet journals again. So I'm actually a better vet because I'm actually being able to research. I've just rediscovered the passion for it. And I was like, that's what we need because the alternative is they burn out or they leave. So a recent statistic that just happened last year, the AVMA, American Veterinary Medical Association, did a survey of graduating students from AVMA certified colleges, which are all the universities in Canada, a handful in Europe couple in the Caribbean, Mexico, and, and, and of course, United States. About 1% to 2% of students over the last 10 years want to go into equine practice. So when you look at that, that means that's about, you know, about 5,000 students graduate a year. So between 50 and 100 people want to go into equine practice. That's not enough to make up for the people that are retiring and we have to make the practices really inviting to get this new supply. We want to take care of our horses. We need good vets. And, you know, so out of that 50 to 100, we're always looking at, well, who would fit into our culture? Who would really want to do what we do here? And that really, that strong emphasis on client communication and just taking care of our clients. So all of a sudden, your goes down to about 10 out of that 100. And then not many of them want to come to Canada and work. You know, our attitude is let's just take care of who we have. We have amazing vets. Clients love them. Let's make sure they're happy so they can take care of their clients and their horses even better. It's a simple equation. So I think it's very clear that uh, in this uh, veterinary profession, your passions, Dr. Palinol, seem to be customer service, client communication, and also a positive work environment. And uh, I know that you've taken that 
passion outside the the walls of Mickey Pownell Equine Services to the world of consultancy. So can you talk about how those passions have uh, sort of populated throughout the clinics that you've consulted with? Sure. So after the MBA, I mean, one of the things that happened here is that, uh, you know, over the years, I realized that we had developed a great group of people here. And I didn't realize how great they were until I was the vet service manager for the Pan Am Games in the summer of 2015. And now I had just finished uh, business school. And so that was a big project, but it was so time and um, engrossing that I literally, I was not in one of our offices for six weeks. I think I popped in once for two hours and I was not around. Like I was just at Caledon Equestrian Park and I was just focused on the Pan Ams and everything worked great without me. And I just sort of realized, well, I have a great team. Like they don't really need me. I hope they need me at times, but they don't need me every day. (laughs) Yep. And so I thought with the business skills that I had picked up and I know there's, you know, um, most vet practices struggle to run as a good business. The same challenges that we were identifying that we had with McKee Panel, other vets have. And so, you know, if you love the profession, if you love animals, if you, you know, it, this is a way you give back and, and this is where you, you help is to start helping other veterinarians realize there's a better way of practicing that is going to save their sanity, but also give better patient and customer care. And so it sort of has become a side business that I'm working with with some other people. You know, within Canada, I've got a partner in the Netherlands. I've got another partner in the United States. And so it's really been wonderful because as people that know me and friends on Facebook, you know, before COVID, I was always traveling. I was, you know, I'd spend like two or three weeks a year in Europe, got to go to China to a huge equestrian event, gone to Australia, all across North America. So it's really fun knowing that you can have a positive influence on the profession that way as well. That's great. Awesome. And hopefully some of these other practices are starting to, to see the light that, that things can be better, that it, it doesn't have to be so traditional. It doesn't have to be the, that, well, that's the way we've always done it Yeah, because uh, it's not uh, sustainable, Yeah, right? One of the things that we really focused on, this is a big, you know, the whole thing of changing from the uh, commission structure to the four-day work week was just, I remember reading a book about 10 years ago by a famous restaurateur out of New York City called Danny Myers. And he's, you know, he does a lot of high-end restaurants. And his philosophy was, you can't have great customer service unless your employees love working for you. Because otherwise, they're just faking it. Yeah. And we've all been in those businesses where they have the signs, we're all about customer service and everybody's just, you know, they, they just want to get out of there. And it sort of changed my thinking of let's create a business where if everybody loves working there, they're going to love taking care of clients. They're just, they're all on board. And I think that's what we've been trying to do with the consultancy to other practices is like, you know what? Your people are your biggest assets. Take care of them and they're going to take care of your clients beyond what you ever thought. And I think it's a kind of a virtuous circle that, you know, that, that's how we do things here. Yeah, great. Absolutely. You've talked a lot about kind of the changes you've made and kind of the structure of the work week and the salary change within the vets. And something that I'd like to go back to touch base on is actually about what you have established for our continued education. So the something that I Uh, really enjoy with the company and I think is kind of very different is that each year we're able to go somewhere or set something up to allow us to have CE continued education. So that's been really great for myself and I've done a variety of things. And something I'd like to point out as well is that yes, there's 
this ability to go somewhere and take advantage of whatever interests lie for you. Also, the last few years, really, there's been a lot of internal education amongst veterinarians with the support staff. Every day, it's you're interested in eyes, for example. These are the different cases we have, and, and trying really to educate internally has been amazing. Last year, it was I kind of, it took me a little bit to kind of pick what I wanted to do with my CE because I felt like every day I was getting CE with the people that I work with, which is pretty incredible. That's a huge focus is education. I'm a living testament to it. I mean, the, the more we can educate ourselves, open ourselves up to new experiences, the better it helps us to be inspired. And it, it just, it, from all levels, and I think, Karen, you've done a great job of creating CE opportunities for the vet assistants and CSRs, our customer service representatives, because, you know, why shouldn't everybody know about our approach to vaccines? And, you know, we've done dissection labs. I mean, we really try to make sure that everybody no matter who works with us and what role, sort of understands as much as they can about medicine. I love that kind of collaborative environment. And again, I think the ones who benefit are the horses because everybody is just outward thinking and just how can we do this better? How can we do this better? How can we learn more? And that's, that's invigorating for me, just to be around people that are just so passionate about what they're doing. Absolutely. As a, as a veterinarian, there's nothing more uh, motivating or, or stimulating uh, within your profession than learning a new skill. And I, you hear it time and time again when, uh, when vets are coming back from a CE opportunity, whether it's a, an ultrasound lab or a, a surgical lab or something like that, and they come back and they're, they're just like, oh, I can't wait for that case to show up because I can't wait to try something new and, and, uh, and just uh, shake things up a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's really, really fun. So I've, I've enjoyed uh, CE a lot and I've gained so much from it. But I've learned as much from my colleagues at McKee Pownall as I have from external CE opportunities. When I, when I first came on board here, there are a few things that I didn't do before. Some of it was uh, dependent upon equipment, for example. I didn't have that equipment at my previous practice or whatever. And uh, come on board and it's like, okay, well, you're going to learn how to do this. And, and you learn these things. You're like, oh, okay, can't wait to can't wait to learn how to inject sacroiliac joints or something like that. And, and, uh, and then guess what? You see how much better your patients do when you, when you've got that, that new skill. So it's great. I was heartbroken when, uh, when COVID hit because, uh, a colleague and, and I were supposed to go down to, uh, to Florida, a really great, uh, CE opportunity and it, it's had to be rescheduled. So we were so excited about it. Uh, not only because why not go to Florida in April, but, uh, but that also, was a great course. Yeah. Yeah. But also, uh, let's, let's learn something new so we can bring it back for show season and, yep. and race season. So yeah, to be continued. Yeah. It'll happen again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we talk a lot about client communication, customer service, everything like that. Um, what's our, what's your ultimate goal with that? We have a, our purpose, you know, and a, a purpose is sort of this ethereal concept of like why we do what we do. And it's easy to say, well, we love animals and, you know, we don't want to stop suffering. And that's true. But really, when, when Melissa and I put the company together, our purpose really was reflected back on our own experiences dealing with vets. And, you know, you go to a vet and I remember whether it was my dog or cat or horses, and both of us had the same experience of just, you know, I would leave an appointment sometimes and I would feel unsettled. 
and I felt like, uh, I don't know if I got all the answers or I'm, and just, you never felt comfortable. And if this is, you know, an animal that you love, your partner, I mean, it's, you know, whatever, you just like, I, I want the best for this. And I feel like something's missing. And that knot in your stomach was something I didn't like. So from that, we sort of said our purpose, you know, really is to give our clients peace of mind in the decisions they make about their horses in collaboration with us. It's an informed decision. And so whether it is from a vaccine to dentistry to a lameness examination and treatment, uh, our goal is people say, all right, I, I know why we did it. And it was the best choice we can make, regardless of budget, regardless of what have you, it's just the best choice that we could make. And I feel good about it, you know, and, and so we really talk a lot about that. And, you know, every time we talk about is like, did we give peace of mind? Did we give peace of mind? And, and usually when we get customer complaints and I've got to talk to somebody, it's because we haven't done that. And it really is a reminder to go back all the time is like when we've finished this appointment, have we left any questions unanswered? Have we left ourselves open to answer questions that might come up later? Have we made sure people, are they informed in, uh, on the options so they know that this is the best decision? And that's really what we strive for every single day. We talk a lot within the practice about patient outcomes and client outcomes, and we can have like the best patient outcome and the client could be upset because we've done a poor job communicating or we didn't follow up like we were supposed to. And yet we can have the worst patient outcomes and have I wouldn't say joyous clients, but very appreciative clients. If you do a euthanasia well, which is one of the hardest things we can do as veterinarians, often that's when we have the clients that are the most appreciative because of how well it went and the decision was made that this was the right time. Those are the things that we really focus on a lot, just making sure we have great patient and client outcomes so they have a peace of mind. We did the best for our animal. I always do try to keep that uh, that that phrase in mind, peace of mind, peace of mind, peace of mind. It, it, it really is um, so, so important. I, I was reminded of it last week or a couple weeks ago, I was working with a client and we'd basically finished discussing a case and I, I still sensed some tension. And I was like, I want to put your mind at ease, right? I, I don't want you to be up late wondering here. So what do we, what do we need to do to, to make it so that you're, you're relaxed, so that you have peace of mind? So we did bring out the x-ray machine and we did it and everything was fine. And, but then it takes away that lingering thought and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's what we have to, that's what we have to do. Yeah. That's it. Something that I'd like to touch on that happens each year is we actually have a company wide meeting. We call it our town hall meeting in which all practices and all employees are present at. We all get together. We have a great day. This time is actually two days. Um, And then we have some CE that's involved as well. Mike, did you want to touch base as to kind of the background as to how that was important? Sure. We have our town hall meeting. I think we started doing them about 2014, 2013, really because we have the different locations and it was just a time of the year we can all come together, making sure everybody's in the same room. And what we do is we do a sort of a, a review of what happened in the year before, talk about what the plans are for the coming year, and then we have some kind of educational event there. This past year, we lucky we got it in just before COVID, we actually had a two-day event. We were able to bring over a great speaker from the Netherlands who was working at one of our other practices that I've done consulting with in the States. So we were able to get them up, up to Canada easily. Just in terms of working in teams and te- you know have, having effective teams. And I love those events because everybody's together. And you know sometimes it's, what I like is that 
sometimes people have only see each other that one time a year. Yes, that's right. But you know what? I remember one year, a couple of years ago, we were done at like two in the afternoon and nobody left. <laughs> and everybody stuck around for a couple of hours just chatting. Yes. Because they're just so happy to talk to each other and see each other and catch up. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the my, my favorite things to do in the year. And uh, one of the things I love about the town hall meeting is is I get to introduce our profit sharing plan or what happens. And that's something that we introduced several years ago, too, when the vets went over to from commission to salary. I said, you know, everybody should be invested in what the company does. Mm -hmm. And so we became very big believers in sharing. And so we take a, a significant amount of our profits and we every year we distribute it to the staff. And that's also a great feeling too, because again, you know, as you know, that goes back to our original thing is making sure people can make a living wage. And, and that does help. And everybody feels that they've contributed to the success of the company. So no, the money doesn't all go to Melissa and Maggie and myself, but actually we, we, we put a significant amount back to the company and reinvest in the company. So I think that helps us keep solid as a team as well. We're all sort of in it together. Absolutely. That was something that I thought was really great that you guys you guys did within the company, which also kind of ties in to just wanted to touch base on our review process. I thought it was kind of interesting that I had talked to other people with outside of the company and they don't have review processes. It's kind of, you know, they work one day, perhaps someone says, oh, you're doing a great job. Here's a raise. But there's there's nothing set in stone. Whereas for our McKee panel, we have a review process. From this, we're able to set goals. I set my own goals with the help of my manager. And they're not about numbers necessarily. They can be about things, you know, they always have to be solid, something measurable. But, you know, I would like to, I'm going to go far out here. I'd like to be able to do an MRI by myself. That's something, okay, that's something you want to do. Let's work together within the company and with everybody at hand to make this a reality. And I think that's an incredible opportunity. Again, going back to our collaboration and our education is everybody's on the same page. It's, oh, Karen really wants to do this goal and everybody's on point. Hey, you know, here's some pictures or come and see our MRI and spend some time here. I think I didn't realize that that was unique uh, to McKee Pownell until recently. Yeah, it's so true. I've worked since I was about 15 years old at, you know, lots of big companies and things like that. I'm pretty sure the first official review I got was in 2018 when I joined Mickey Pound. <laughs> Mickey Pound. I'm 38 years old now. So <laughs> we, we want, but it's not just the once a year. I mean, it's nice to know what you're doing well, but we really are trying to develop this culture of appreciation of let's acknowledge when we've done a good job. We have gold stars and we're always talking about great things people do. And when we do our review and nobody should go in there being surprised and hearing things I didn't know about it, but it's just more of a check-in, you know, especially for the goals. Just again, that comes into uh, allowing people to develop as they wish and creating opportunities. I think that's fascinating. And just seeing how people have picked up new skills and uh, there's just so many examples in the company. Talking about MRI, I mean, Stacy, uh, who does our MRIs at the Camelville Clinic, I mean, she started with us, oh, close to 10 years ago. Yeah. She got her RVT licensing over summers and now she takes care, does most of the MRI scans. And we're happy that every year we're in the top three of image quality in North America. And because that's just a testament to her dedication, her... Uh, her appreciation of detail. I mean, I go in that MRI room after about 10 minutes, I'm screaming, I want to get out of there. 
but she is just, I mean, it takes such a unique skill and she's fantastic. And, you know, so let's find these other opportunities for other people to find their niche and, and, and develop. That's fun. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a fancy machine, but it doesn't, uh, doesn't do anything automatically. No, it's tough. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're sitting there and as soon as the horse moves, you got to start all over again. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> patience, patience. patience. Yeah, your inner Buddha's in that room. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Well, I think we've had a great discussion today about uh, Mickey Powell Equine Services and about the equine veterinary profession in general. We've uh, given everybody a a nice uh, inside look. Uh, We wanted to thank everybody for listening and uh, for continuing to listen to the the podcast. Shall I recommend that you subscribe to the podcast because uh, we do uh, constantly try to um, put out uh, new episodes. Um, we've got we've got more on the horizon um, in the in the short term. So um, yeah, if you are liking what you're hearing, and if you are listening today and haven't listened to any of our previous episodes, uh, please do so because I think there's a lot of uh, great information in there and everything like that. So, um, but yeah, subscribe so that you can um, you can be reminded of uh, upcoming episodes. Don't hesitate to contact us if you have any uh, questions comments concerns and uh, particularly ideas for content i think that's uh, that's all i needed to say so well i want to thank both of you for putting on these great podcasts i i enjoy listening to them i learn things and i just find the format and the way you two communicate and when you bring in guests are just i just i love them i'm a subscriber <laughs> awesome awesome well thanks so much uh mike and uh and thank you for joining us today yeah my pleasure good seeing you both absolutely have a great day everybody This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people. Not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.